Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about the brain mechanisms behind post-traumatic stress disorder, new insights into the effects of dopamine, and where love exists in our bodies. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Most people will experience some form of trauma in their lives, unfortunately. As safe as we can make our worlds, we just can't eliminate all dangers. But research has found that while most people who experience trauma recover without any problems, about 40% of trauma survivors will experience some form of post-traumatic stress disorder in the immediate aftermath of the event. Now, we've talked about PTSD before. It seems like there's a ton of new research being done to try and hone in on treatments and therapies, right? Totally. Because while most of those 40% of survivors will make a full recovery, by some counts, between 2 and 10% of trauma survivors will establish full-blown PTSD that will linger with them sometimes for years. And that can mean the total disruption in normal life. It means symptoms like intrusive thoughts and nightmares, changes in mood and thinking, or always being on edge or easily startled. Okay, so why are some people more affected by it than others? You said that most people will recover after traumatic events. Why is that? Well, that is what Dr. Israel Lieberzon at Texas A&M University wanted to know. Researchers know that PTSD affects the processing power of the parts of the brain associated with emotions. But Dr. Lieberzon wanted to know just how those parts of the brain were affected. Got it. Okay, so if you know what's happening in the brain, then I guess you can fine-tune the treatments? Totally. But not only that, you can figure out how at risk someone is for long-term PTSD symptoms if you understand how their brain functions. Well, that'd be great information to have because it might mean getting a jump start on the treatment, right? Exactly. So Dr. Lieberzon and his team examined brain activity in 104 trauma survivors at 1, 6, and 14 months after a traumatic event to identify biomarkers of PTSD risk and resilience. Most of these participants had suffered through car accidents, so by studying their brain functioning over time, they wanted to see if there were markers that could help them predict who was more at risk and who would be more resilient to developing long-term PTSD. Okay, so were there markers? Yep. Sure enough, if the right inferior frontal gyrus, a brain region linked to emotional regulation, was more highly activated at one month, the participant experienced a better recovery from initial PTSD symptoms over the following year. Wow. Okay, so now that the connection has been made, what comes next? Well, they still have their work cut out for them. They want to study the pathology that turns acute symptoms of PTSD into chronic symptoms. But this is already a huge start. This suggests that greater engagement of those regions may make trauma survivors more resilient. And these findings could lead to improved early detection and help develop new treatments. And like you said, if doctors can identify who is at risk, then they can work to make PTSD something to deal with for a few weeks instead of a few years. I mean, you gotta love an active inferior frontal gyrus, right? That's what I always say. <laughs> 
You know that warm, fuzzy feeling that ironically comes from that first incredible bite of an ice cream cone? Oh, yeah. Just imagining it gives me the warm and fuzzies, except in my teeth. Those those feel cold. <laughs> well, that's dopamine being released by your brain. The the warm fuzzies, not, not the cold teeth. Ah, yes. Well, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's associated with pleasure, right? Exactly. It's that rush you feel when something pleasant happens. It feels good, which is one of the reasons why when we feel pleasure, we just want more and more. And that's where dopamine stops being just about ice cream and starts having huge effects on our behavior. It has a hand in just about everything we do. It plays a role in motor control, motivation, memory, and attention. It literally reinforces behaviors that we need for survival. I never thought of it like that. But I guess that rush of pleasure is important because it tells you what's good and what's not good. So our ancestors who bit into a juicy ripe piece of fruit and then had a little hit of dopamine would have wanted more of that healthy food. But you don't get that same hit with rotten fruit. Something like that, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you can see why the right balance of dopamine is so crucial. Too much or too little is associated with disorders like schizophrenia, ADHD, addiction, and all kinds of impulse control issues. Yeah, like if you have an imbalance, maybe that one ice cream cone just isn't enough. That's a good example. And it's why researchers conduct so many studies on dopamine. It's just so essential for our lives, but it's also incredibly complex. So a new study by researchers from Germany and Switzerland has dug into some of the effects of dopamine on our decision-making, and the results are super fascinating. Oh, please tell me this involves ice cream. (laughs) Okay, not quite. They recruited 31 male participants and had them each learn to associate certain abstract symbols with different rewards. Basically, they called it a learning task, and they used it to assess how quickly the participants could make decisions, but also how accurately. Okay, got it. So the idea is that they wanted to see if dopamine made them faster and more accurate. Something like that? Yeah, something like that. So... Does devouring an ice cream cone make me smarter and sharper? Okay, not exactly. They found that increased dopamine levels made the participants more willing to make quick decisions, but at the cost of being very wrong. Oh, okay. So dopamine kind of made them make snap decisions, even if they were risking being wrong. Uh Uh-huh. And the thing is, some previous studies suggested that some dopamine-increasing drugs actually improved learning outcomes. But this study paints a more complicated picture. Every time we make a decision, we sort of automatically consider this threshold. How accurate does this decision need to be, and how quickly do I need to make it? I guess in the dream world, we can make split-second decisions and always be right. (laughs) Yeah, but that's not the real world. So this study found that dopamine has a lot to do with the decision-making threshold. When we have more of it coursing through our minds, we're more likely to select speed at the cost of accuracy. So why? Well, remember how I said dopamine is incredibly complicated? The truth is, they still don't know exactly how these mechanisms work. But this study gives us just another slice of that dopamine pie. And with conditions like Parkinson's, ADHD, and addiction at stake, it's an easy decision to keep studying the role of dopamine in our lives. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A research team from Aalto University in Finland have been looking for love 
Okay, is this a story about a new dating app for academics? <laughs> Not quite. This team is literally trying to find out where love exists inside of our bodies. Okay, I see. So this is actually an easy one. So they say love's in the heart, but if we didn't have a brain to experience feelings, then there'd be no love. So obviously it exists in the brain and the heart. And I guess sometimes you feel it in your stomach. Okay, <laughs> now I am confused. Yeah, not so simple, right? So this study was more about how we experience or feel love and less about all that biochemical electricity that love produces or the hormones that wash over us when we feel a spark. So they didn't like hook a bunch of people up to a bunch of electrodes and follow them around until they felt love? Nope. In order to figure out where people feel love in their bodies, they did something extraordinary. They asked them. Huh. What a novel idea. The team collected data from hundreds of participants. Most of them were young women in higher education using an online survey. Participants were asked to describe where they felt each type of love on a little outline of a body and then assess the intensity, pleasantness, and their mental associations of those feelings. So they asked them about different types of love, like, like romantic love and parental love, for example? They asked about 27 different types of love. Holy, okay, I had no idea. That's a whole lot of love. Yep, everything from passionate love to a mother's love for her child to love for one's country. They asked about the kind of love you have for a companion and for animals. Even a love of wisdom. Okay, that is smart. So where does love live in us? It's, it's the brain, right? Yep, and the chest and the tummy and the legs and the pelvic region. Oh my. The findings published in Philosophical Psychology suggest that the different types of love can be placed on a continuum from weaker to stronger. While all types of love were strongly felt in the head, they varied in how they were felt throughout the rest of the body. Some love was confined to the chest and others spread throughout the body. So where people felt it depended on what kind of love it was. Yeah. And if you think about it, there are just so many ways we feel love, so it makes sense that we describe different feelings of love in different ways. The strongest forms, for example, like passionate love and true love, were felt all over the place. So what do we do with this information? That's a good question. The findings are interesting for a few reasons. First, they shed a lot of light on how humans experience love. It's super complex, and there's a huge diversity in how we feel it. But a specific thing that piqued the researchers' interest is the fact that all of the participants described each type of love as being felt at least in their heads. They want to go a little deeper to understand how those feelings relate to basic cognitive processes and how that translates to all of those other tingles we feel in the rest of us. Okay, I really love this study. Yes, but where do you love it? Uh, I think mostly in my elbow. That's what I thought. Yeah, it makes sense. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. A new study found that greater activation of the right inferior frontal gyrus, a brain region involved in emotional regulation, shortly after trauma predicts better recovery from acute PTSD symptoms over the following year, highlighting the importance of prefrontal cortical regions in resilience after trauma exposure. The results could help identify those at higher risk for chronic PTSD who may benefit from early intervention. Scientists pumped up dopamine levels in men's brains and found they rushed their choices like over-caffeinated squirrels in traffic, leaping quicker but crashing more often, revealing how this chemical neurotransmitter shapes the speed versus accuracy trade-off in decision-making. Researchers at Alto University conducted a captivating study where they mapped how 27 different types of love, from romantic to parental, are experienced in the body. 
Surprisingly, they found that all forms of love light up the head, but the intensity and distribution vary, shedding new light on the complex nature of love. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gate and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karasami. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.